so glad to be able to bring God's Word to you this morning. This is, this is the thesis this morning that I, that I believe that the Lord has given to me to give to us this morning. It's this, and in times of trouble, we should humble ourselves and seek God's help for our common good, especially the good of others, and for His glory. Amen? The Bible has a lot of explicit commands, a lot of do's and don'ts. But the Bible is not, that's not what it mostly is, and as far as the content. Most of the content is story. It's describing what happened. And all of the Bible is, is, is pointing to us, is, is letting us know this great big story. This great big story of God's redemptive plan. The great big story from creation to fall and sin entering the world how God is redeeming and reconciling everything to himself. That's the big story. Jesus loved stories as well. Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus didn't, didn't teach without a parable, which is a fictional story um, with a heavenly meaning, a heavenly purpose. Last week, Pastor Ryan talked about uh, a text from uh, the Gospel of Luke that said that Jesus met up with these lesser-known disciples and told them about how all the stories of the Old Testament, how they were pointing towards Him. And everything from the Law and the Prophets and the Psalms, everything was pointing to Jesus. So that's the big picture. This morning we're going to be in the book of Ezra. And the book of Ezra is no different. The book of Ezra also points to Jesus in a big way. The book of Ezra was originally two books. It was the book of well, it was originally one book. Ezra and Nehemiah were, were one book. And it's the story of how three leaders are bringing people back out of captivity, back to their home. They were 70 years in this place of exile. It was like a quarantine for 70 years. They weren't able to go home. And so the, the kind of the arc of the book of Ezra and Nehemiah together they, they make up these stories where there's these high points where God uses these men of God and where it looks like he's going to bring revival through what they're doing to bring back the temple and the Torah and the city. So there's these high points, but then there's also, they, they tend to fall off at the end. And it kind of creates this, this longing, like, man, it looked like it was going to be so good, and then the plane landed before you got to the, to the destination. And what, what I think that Jesus might would have told Cleopas and the other disciple on the road is, didn't that longing, didn't that make you want there to be someone who would come and fulfill that? And I believe that Jesus would say, I'm that guy. <laughs> he is. He is our Messiah. He is the one who would bring in true worship and true worshipers who worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. That he would turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. That he would, he would set up and, and dwell with us as people. That he would write his word on our hearts. He is our Lord and our God, as Thomas confessed. So that's the big picture of what's going on in Ezra and how it points to the fulfillment of Israel's longing in Christ. 
But another thing that these stories do is they illustrate principles that we can find elsewhere in Scripture. Now, these, these stories aren't allegories. They actually happen. They're historical truths. But sometimes we see the effects of when people obey God and when people disobey God, what happens to them. And I believe this story that we have this morning from Ezra is a time when Ezra was doing things right in the eyes of God. And so we have some things that we can learn. So Ezra chapter 8, starting in verse 21. And I just want to share with you how, how I came to this text. And then how I, can, I, I think it can be beneficial for us this morning. So a couple of weeks ago, after our priest, I was kind of biblically homeless. You know, I was in between books of the Bible um, in my own devotional time, and I, I wasn't expecting to preach or teach from the Bible at any time soon, so I just opened up the Bible, and it, it opened up to the book of Ezra. And whatever I remembered about the book of Ezra, uh, before, it was very, very little. And I was like, well, you know, I had the song from the, the previous day's sermon in my heart and my mind. Why not now? So I'll just dive into the book of Ezra and see what happens. And it didn't take me long to discover that, that this little book is pretty hard to read. It's pretty hard to read. It's loaded with lists of names and places that are unfamiliar to me. And it's filled with what uh, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, he would call hyperlinks. So when the author of Ezra would write he was, he was thinking about all kinds of different things that he assumed that the reader would know that maybe you and I don't know. Like, he would say one word and it would be a cue that everyone would know the song, you know, Sweet Caroline, everybody knows to do that, right? So that, that's kind of the way that, that the book of Ezra, where it's loaded with stuff like that. And there are Allusions to battles and, and creation stories and all kinds of things. The, the, the Exodus, uh, Ezra is kind of like a new Moses. He's leading an Exodus out of Babylon back into Jerusalem. So we get all these kinds of things. And, you know, if you're just reading it kind of at a glance, it, all that stuff's just going to go over your head. It's like picking up the Lord of the Rings in like the last uh, movie, you know. Or one of the last chapters, you're like, who are all these characters? Like, what is going on? That's that's kind of the, where the book of Ezra is. But I decided to go ahead and plug away anyway and see if there's any low-hanging fruit that a guy like me might pick up. And the Holy Spirit highlighted several things that really stopped me in my tracks in the text that we have today. And so I believe it's a word from the Lord for us today. Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 through 23. It says, There by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast. This is Ezra talking. I proclaimed a fast. So that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask Him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for, for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road, because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. 
but his greater anger is against all who forsake him. So, they fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. Let me give you a little bit of context. I didn't have this context that I'm going to give you when I read this. I feel like the Holy Spirit imprinted it on me, and then it was after I had said, Pastor Ryan, I, I think the Lord's given me a word. Then I kind of went back through all of this history and all of a lot of study tried to do my due diligence to make sure that I wasn't saying something that the Bible is not actually saying, right? Because if the Bible can't say something to us that it wasn't originally saying to its original audience. That's taking things out of its context, and that's really irresponsible. I didn't want to do that. So I kind of did all the due diligence later on, after the fact, and it, it actually changed some of the interpretation that I had missed it in some ways. But let me give you a little context of what's going on in Ezra. Ezra had been given this notice from the king, Artaxerxes. God had stirred the heart of King Artaxerxes. He was a Persian king. They were originally taken over by, taken captive by the Babylonians, and then the Persians came in and they took over. And there was Cyrus, and then there was Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes had his heart. He was a pagan king. He was not an Israelite king. He was a pagan guy. He did not have the fear of God. But God stirred his heart and he said, I'm going to let these people, these Israelites, go back home. I'm going to let them reestablish their identity as the people of God and worship God. And I'm going to let them go and live back at home. And not only that, I'm going to, I'm going to send them with my blessing. Not just like, hey, good job. Bye-bye, see you later. But I'm going to send them with gold and silver and tell them, that, hey, you can take gold and silver from anybody who will let you take it from them. So just ask them, and maybe they'll give you some. And they did. Ezra is the one leading the people back to Jerusalem. He's the leader. And from what we know at, at this time, it was probably about 5,000 people, men, women, and children. 5,000 people Ezra was in charge of leading. And he was supposed to lead them from Babylon to Jerusalem. And the course was 900 miles. 900 miles. With 5,000 people, and probably 2,000 of them were kids. That's a serious road trip. 900 miles, it's 650 miles from here to New York City. Our brother Tony Lemon this morning is in Wilmington, North Carolina. That's 760 miles from here to there. To Wilmington, North Carolina. Ezra and 5,000 other people walked on foot farther from here to Wilmington, North Carolina. 900 miles. The trip would take three and a half months to go. You can, can you imagine, like, how many times we could hear from 2,000 kids, are we almost there? Are we there yet? They didn't have veggie tails. They didn't have CD players and MP3 players to, like, you know, put on your credence or whatever, you know, and jam down the road. They were walking 900 miles. Can you imagine potty breaks? With that many kids for 900 miles, what did they eat? Did they have beef jerky, no sunflower seeds, no cheap coffee from the whatever, 
pack of snacks? I don't, I don't even know what they ate. Lord of the Rings people, Limbus bread maybe, I don't know. So to complicate matters further, and to actually take this from being like a nuisance to an actual real trouble, a real crisis, was that on this road, there were thieves, bandits. And Ezra knew this. Ezra knew that there were going to be bandits and thieves on this road. They were notorious. They would, they would get their livelihood from robbing people on the, ro- on the road. This is how they made their money, was they would just rob people as they passed by. Um, did I mention that they had gold and silver and all their, anything that they wanted? I don't know what you would pack if you're going 900 miles from your, you know, your home back to your real home. But they had all of their possessions and lots of gold and silver. So it's like they're walking on this on this trail, and it's like they had neon signs saying, please, we got a lot of stuff you you can have. You know, they were, they were easy pickings for these bandits along the way. And Ezra knew that. Ordinarily, in a situation like this, he might ask for the king, say, hey, king, do you commissioned us to go, could you maybe have some armed guards? Because there's thieves and bandits on the way. That's what happens for Nehemiah a little later on. But Ezra was ashamed because he had just had a conversation with the king about how God is the one who protects. So now the name of God is at stake. So what did Ezra do when he was faced with a time of trouble and a crisis. The Bible says that he fasted. Fasting is a, is a discipline. You don't just like fall into fasting. You do it on purpose. It's depriving ourselves of something. Normally, food. Now, Ezra would also have been very familiar with the prophecies of Isaiah, including Isaiah chapter 58, where there's this reform of fasting, where it's not just about depriving yourself of food, but it's basically saying, don't be a jerk either. Pay people. Look out for the poor. Fasting usually accompanies prayer in a time of crisis. All throughout Scripture. In times of crisis, our selfish nature tends to shine. I just remind you, just a few weeks ago, you couldn't buy toilet paper in Fort Wayne. You guys remember that? You couldn't find toilet paper in Fort Wayne just at the announcement of COVID-19. People were just going nuts. I I heard that even one local grocery store um, had a shortage of baked beans because one local pastor came and bought a huge... What I'm trying to say is, in, time, in times of crisis and in times of trouble, we don't tend to think about other people. We tend to, we, we tend to, to think about self-preservation instead of self-deprivation. It, it says that Ezra fasted, he proclaimed a fast, so that they would humble themselves. Like fasting was going to be this trigger that actually jump-started humility. Humility is not seeing ourselves lower than we actually are. 
to see yourself exactly the right way, which is much lower than God, much smaller, much less wise than our good God. The Bible says over and over again that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You can find that all over Scripture. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So if you want resistance in life, especially from the God who made everything, then be proud. Dig in, bow your chest out, insist on having your way and being right. You would rather the grace of God than be humble. Be gracious to others who make mistakes. Don't think too much of yourself. Really listen to other people. Don't just wait for for the silence so that you can say your thing. Really listen. Look people in the eye, no matter what their lot in life is. This is a part of being humble. It's recognizing that we have needs also. That will drive us to pray. Humility is like a prerequisite to prayer. And so they pray. In recognition of our weakness, we cry out for help. We cry out to the one who is greater and wiser, and we know that he deeply, deeply loves us. this morning, Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much more than you could ever imagine. He loves you. He is for you. He wants to help you. Would you humble yourself and ask for his help? In their time of crisis, they fasted, they humbled themselves, and they prayed for a safe journey for themselves, for their children, and for their possessions. The first thing they fasted and prayed for was themselves. Ezra was the leader, right? He got commissioned by the king to go. He was given a whole bunch of gold and silver. He could have just, like, at that time, took the money and ran. They wrote the song about that, too. He could have just took all the gold and just bolted out. Or he could have stood there by the river and, and did this honorable thing of praying and fasting, but he could have done it all for himself. But that's not what the Bible says. It says they prayed for themselves. It became this communal thing where it was not just about Ezra, the leader, the big guy. He was concerned about the well-being of others. That reminds me of Philippians chapter 2. I've been hearing this a lot lately, and it's good for us to hear it because it goes so counter to everything in our, in our hearts and in our nature. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, and if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. This is Paul talking to the Philippians. Make my joy complete by doing what? By being like-minded. Having the same love. Being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition 
or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Christ is our example in, in humility. He is our example in valuing others above ourselves. The God of the universe. Listen to what it says. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Just as an aside here, you see the, the connection that Paul is making between the joy of leaders and the unity of the followers. Godly leaders labor over difficult decisions. They love people and they love the Lord. They labor over difficult decisions. And I just want to let you know, I've seen this from, from the leadership here at Broadway. I've seen Pastor Ryan and I've seen the elders. I've seen them pray and labor over difficult decisions because they love the Lord and they love you. So make their joy complete. They have a hard job by being united with one another. What I want us to see here from Philippians is that Jesus, again, is our example of humility. That he valued others above himself. God did that for you and for me. That he would leave heaven and be violently executed to come and get us. See that with Thanksgiving, they go and do likewise. That's what Paul is saying. So they prayed for themselves, and then they prayed, they fasted, they were concerned about the children. Who are going to be the slowest people on this route? It was going to be the children. The children were going to be the slowest. And Ezra could have commissioned the fastest and the bravest to just take off running with all the good things. Who's, who's going to be our, our delegate? We'll give you all the good stuff and just send you out of here. And just say, hey, women and children, we hope that you guys make it. And I'll see you. Hopefully, see you there. That's not the posture that they took. Instead, they slowed everyone down to the cadence of the children. As Amanda eloquently put it this past Tuesday at our staff meeting, she said, they moved at the pace of the vulnerable. I think that's a word for us today. If we're not sure where someone is, they may look like they're super healthy, but they may be on immunosuppressants, or they may have asthma, or they may be caring for someone who's elderly and sick. Let's not take that position from a, a position of strength and health and force that person to go. Hey, I'm sorry, I can't, can't hug you. You know, or try to force that person into a handshake. Or it, it's let's think about the vulnerable and try to move at their pace. 
we can go alone and we can go fast. But if we want to care for the weak, we've got to go slow. And we've got to go together. In a culture of fast pace and efficiency, we often forget about the weak and the slow and the hurting. James 1.27 says this, Religion that our God, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The orphans and the widows are the most vulnerable people in the, in the culture. And the Lord says that that's what true religion is about, is looking after the vulnerable. Isaiah 58, 6-7 says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. We need to remember the vulnerable and allow us our decisions be impacted by those who are going to be slower and those who are uh, more, more vulnerable in this situation. They also fasted and they prayed. They prayed for themselves, their children, and they also prayed for their possessions. They were concerned about their stuff. They were concerned about money. But I want us to also recognize, so we, we can be concerned about our stuff, and we can be concerned about the economy, and we can be concerned, but recognize where it is on the list in their prayers. It's dead last. And I think that, that says something about the priorities. I know that in my own prayer life, I tend to think, Lord, help me, and help me with my stuff that I want to have. And I think this is a, a reminder for us. That's not the way of the Lord. That's not the way of His people. So they prayed for a safe journey. But then what did they do? I think one of the things that we're seeing in our world today is when people say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. Have you started to notice that people are like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with all the, the prayers. You know, when are you going to do something? You notice that it, 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 sometimes it almost seems like an attack on Christianity. It's like, you know, Keep your prayers, you know, just do something. Uh, prayer is doing something, right? I'm, I'm petitioning the king of the universe. I'm, I'm giving access to you by praying and asking the Lord for something for you that I could never give you. I don't have it, right? So prayer is doing something, and it's, it's where we start. Before they even left Babylon, they fasted and they prayed. This is where we start. But they couldn't just stay there either. They had to do something. They had to walk. They asked God for protection, and then they had to walk. They had to prove that they actually trusted that God heard their prayer. And that God would be with them. They couldn't let their fear paralyze them to the point of not making their journey home. They still had to walk. They prayed about the outcome, and they left it in the Lord's hands. The same is true for us as believers. Fear is something that Jesus commanded. He said, stop it. 
in really terrifying situations, Jesus would say, stop it. Don't be afraid. Fear in the lives of believers shows that there's a lack of trust there. shows that there's a lack of trust in God. Don't be afraid. That's what Jesus says. Proverbs 3, 21 through 26. says, My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. They will go on your way in safety. Then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Somebody want that? Come on. You want your sleep to be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. Don't be afraid. In general, when we walk in wisdom, we can trust that there is protection from God for safety in this life. Of course, there are exceptions to that general wisdom. Things happen. And the reach of death stretches further than our discretion. But thanks be to God, through our Savior, God reaches further than that. He is risen. Our Lord went in the tomb and came out. We just celebrated that. And every time we trust in the Lord, we're celebrating that Easter again. Every single time we, we say, God, oh, this is hard, and I trust you. I'm celebrating the resurrection. I'm saying, I know that my Redeemer lives. When we trust in God, we remember that death's arm is long, but Christ's arm is longer. You know with me? Paul said to live is Christ, and to die is gain, right? To live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I live, I get to tell people about Jesus. I get to taste the goodness of God in the land of the living. If I die, I get to go and be with Him. It's undefeatable. What can Satan do to believers with that kind of mentality? Nothing. He's got nothing. To live is Christ. To die is gain. There's no room for fear in the life of a believer. There's no room. Fear is like a climbing vine as well, though. We can pray. We can, we can ask God. We can fast and we can say, God, please take away my fear. Please protect me. But fear is this kind of creeping thing. We're trying to do this thing in, in our yard where we're trying to be a good steward of the land and, and cultivate gardens and these types of things. But there are some, some vines in our land, in our, in our property, that will kind of just get on stuff that we don't want it to, and it will choke it out. And that's the way fear is in our lives. Fear has a, has a way of kind of just slipping into all the stuff and then choking out the green growth of freedom that God wants to have for us. Remember this. Prayerlessness breeds anxiety. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
prayer is one way that we defeat fear. So it's no surprise that after they prayed, that they walked, that they did something. So let us not go and kneel down at the altar to pray and cast our cares upon Him and then stand up, get back off our knees, and still have that burden of fear on us. Let's not have that. If you've been prone to fear in this time, and you are a follower of Jesus, I want to just, just pray that the Lord will gently and very kindly draw you to repentance. And He's got something better for you than that. And you can trust Him. He's trustworthy, and He loves you. And, before we get the idea that prayer gives us a license to be haphazard and throw caution to the wind, let's, let's rewind and look back at that verse from Proverbs 3, 21 through 26. It says, My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety. Be wise. Don't be haphazard. Don't throw caution to the wind. Paul says in Romans, he says, Should we sin all the more so that grace may abound? Certainly not. Right? Could we say the same thing about being haphazard in this time? Should we be reckless so that God's protection would abound? Certainly not. Wouldn't it have been silly after after the Israelites get there to that river, and they're, they're about ready to embark, and they pray, and they fast, and they humble themselves, and they say, God, please protect us. Wouldn't it be silly of them to then go and just do careless things? Wouldn't it be foolish of us to do things that we know would cause harm or could cause harm? Even if you don't think in this time crisis in our world, that some of the decision makers have your best interest in mind. I want you to know this, that the, the leadership of this church has your best interest in mind, that they pray for your protection, that they're seeking the Lord for wisdom. They love you, and that's an extension of God's love and care for you. To ignore the leadership of the authorities that the Lord has put over our lives to take ourselves out from under the umbrella of God's protection. And worse yet, if you're tempted to mock some of the measures that have been put in place, I just want to say it's, it's just an ugly thing. It's not a good look. So I pray the same thing. If you've been foolish in this time, if you've been haphazard, throwing caution to the wind, I pray that the Lord would kind of lead you to repentance as well. And when we kneel to ask God for protection, let's not get up off our knees and then test God with our carelessness. Remember, Satan came to Jesus when he was in the wilderness. He said, why don't you, hey, give you scripture. He said, Psalm 91. The Lord, he, he won't, he'll be with you and you won't even stub your toe. That's what it seems like. So you can just throw yourself down off this temple mountain. You remember that? And what did Jesus respond to him? He said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It is written, 
don't put him to the test. Let us also not put God to the test. We pray and we ask the Lord for protection, and we don't fear. We don't walk in fear. And we also don't walk in foolishness either. Why? Why was it important that they made it from Babylon all the way to Jerusalem? And why is it important for us to make it through this safely together? Ezra's motivation for safety was not just for them and their children and their possessions. Ezra's motivation was for the glory of God. For the name of God. Ezra spoke with Artaxerxes and said that the Lord would protect them. He had a conversation with the king. So Ezra knew that the king was watching. And he wanted God to get the glory. He didn't ask for the king's protection. And so maybe we can debate there whether or not he should have. Remember, this is descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive. Just like in, in Scripture where, where David committed adultery. It was just describing what he did. Please don't go out and do that. <laughs> so maybe we can, we can kind of Monday morning quarterback Ezra here and say maybe... Maybe he could have received that protection from the king, and the Lord would still receive the glory for them getting safely there. But that's not what he did. Some theologians, some scholars, um, they think that the reason why Ezra didn't do that was because he believed that he was fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 40. Remember that prophecy where it says, uh, there's a voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord? We know that John the Baptist, right, was the, was the fulfillment of that, that he was making straight the way for the Lord. But early on in this text where it says they would provide, that God would provide for them a safe journey, in the Hebrew, it was one of those hyperlinks. It was a straight path. The audience would have immediately thought of Isaiah chapter 40. Ezra believed that that's what was going on here. And so for the glory of God, he wasn't going to ask for the protection of the king. Isaiah 40 says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins, a voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And get this, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Ezra's desire was that the glory of the Lord would be revealed, and that all people would see it together. The people of Israel the nation surrounding, and that king, our exercise. God deserves the glory. He deserves the, the credit. He is worthy. The Lord Jesus died, and he rose again, and he, and he was pierced for our transgressions. He is worthy. Every good and perfect gift, James tells us, comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. Every good thing, even, even from people who aren't yielded to God, we see that in Cyrus, and we see that in our Xerxes, that God will receive the glory. He is sovereign. 
He's the king above all kings, as we sang before. The Lord is worthy. His name is great. And we want to see his name be glorified in the earth. That is our primary reason for doing what we do. That is our primary reason for wanting to see the protection of God's people. It's not just for our good. It's for his glory. Psalm 23, many of you know it by heart. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for what? For his name's sake. The very best thing in this world for us and for anybody in this whole world is that we would know that God is trustworthy and that he loves us. that we would all see God and see His goodness. The more in times of crisis or in times of trouble, we should seek the Lord's help for our common good, especially the good of others, not just ourselves, but especially value others above ourselves. And for the glory of God. If you're a Christian, you're an ambassador of Jesus. If you name the name of Jesus, People are watching. I just want to remind you that you matter. There's a lie that's being disseminated, especially amongst the young people of, of, of our country, that they don't matter. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You matter. You matter. There's an epidemic of, of, of suicide and self-hatred and self-harm in our world today because we don't think that anybody is impacted by our existence. That is a lie. We impact other people. You see, it's a wonderful life, that story that comes out of Christmas. We impact other people and the whole butterfly effect thing. We don't even know how much we impact other people. But more than that, we matter because God has created everything. He loves you. Because of that, you, you're, you're bestowed with dignity. We represent more than just ourselves, and we, we have influence in the world. The world is watching. Your friends are watching. Your family members are watching. Your neighbors are watching. They may even snooping. Right now in Indiana, the government is watching us as believers. The governor said that, that we are a control group, a test. They're watching. Let's not sleep on that. This is an opportunity. The world is watching us. Let's do what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16. He said, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. So in this time of trouble all over the world, I want to I just ask you, I don't have the authority as Ezra to come up here and proclaim a fast. But as your brother in Christ, I can ask you to consider this. That we would fast and pray for the safety of ourselves, our children, and our possessions. That we would fast and pray for wisdom for government leaders all over our country, all over the world. God can do it, right? We see it in this story. God can stir the hearts of even leaders who 
are not proclaiming Christ. We should fast and pray for the leadership here at Broadway, especially if you think that there are decisions that are being made that you don't agree with. I would say you have even more reason to fast and pray. We should humble ourselves and seek to be unified, especially with the most vulnerable. Allow this time to be a time where we remember to be humble and to think about those who are most vulnerable around us. Think about those in nursing homes who've been quarantined for years, who haven't had visitors for years. We've had a couple of months, and it's bad, and I don't want it anymore. But some of these folks, some of of the the most vulnerable about COVID-19, some of them have been quarantined for years. Not because it's forced, but because no one is paying attention. Let it not be said of us as the church that we that we dismiss the widows and orphans and the most vulnerable among us. Let's take this time and be moved to compassion to good works. And all of this should be done not so that Broadway Christian Church or that us as individuals say, man, we're good guys. It should be done for the glory of Jesus. It should be done so that the name of Jesus, the beautiful name of Jesus, is lifted high in all the earth, especially where I have the ability to influence it right here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. To God be the glory. Great things He has done. Let's pray. As we pray, I want you just to consider dedicating a day this week to fast and to pray for these things that I, that I mentioned. To set a date aside this week and to do that. Lord, we ask you we ask you for wisdom, Lord. Lord, we ask you for protection. Lord, we ask for protection for our, for us, for us collectively, Lord. We ask for protection of the, the ones who are most vulnerable to this disease. Lord, we lift up we lift up the children, Lord, who are getting stir crazy at home. Lord, we lift up those the prisoners. wisdom to know what to do the next step forward. Lord, we ask for your protection and your provision and we trust you. Lord, help us where where our hearts have been prone to fear and or foolishness, Lord. Lord, as 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 the government looks in on the church, Lord, let them see not just statistics, not just the test, Lord, I pray that they would see the glory of God. I pray that they would see the beautiful name of Jesus. I pray that they would see uncommon unity between people of all different political perspectives, all different persuasions, all different economic classes, all different nationalities, Lord, coming together to worship the name that is above all names, Jesus. Lord, I pray that as they peek in to to get all their data and all their information, Lord, that they would see more than data. They would see more than stats. They would see more than just information to be utilized for their own good. Lord, I pray that they would see Jesus lifted high. And I pray, Lord, that as, as you are lifted high, Lord Jesus, that you would draw all men to yourself for your glory, Lord. 